Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on March 13th, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe. Months before a chaotic rollout that left tens of thousands of riders furious, Long Island Railroad commuters, advocates, transportation experts, and elected officials warned the MTA that planned service changes would be a disaster for riders. Then the MTA went ahead with its plan anyway, largely unchanged. Alfonso A. Castillo reports on Newsday.com that transportation consultant David Visor questioned the LIRR's projection that nearly half its riders would use Grand Central rather than Penn. He predicted it would be closer to 30 percent. Quote, I think you might be overweighing the amount of people going there, he said. And Mayor Horn, a longtime transportation planner, cautioned that timed connections at Jamaica were an essential feature of the LIRR and should not be eliminated as proposed. Quote, send it back for further study, Horn said of the LIRR's draft schedules, adding, please get busy now and make this work. There were a few of the hundreds of comments. Those were the few, a few of the hundreds of comments made at a series of public hearings held over last summer by the LIRR to gather input for a proposed overhaul of its service plan to accommodate the opening of its new Manhattan Terminal Grand Central Madison. Despite the warnings, the railroad made few changes to its draft timetables. And when the railroad pulled the trigger on the problematic plan February 27th, chaos ensued as tens of thousands of riders complained of longer commutes, dangerous crowding, and inconvenient transfers responding to assertions that the railroad did not consider public input, including from several hundred speakers at three hearings in July and August of last year. LIRR Interim President Catherine Rinaldi noted that the bulk of the comments came from Port Washington riders upset over the elimination of express trains to and from Penn Station and that the railroad did respond by restoring some of them. The LIRR has now made other changes and plans to address complaints about crowding and delays. MTA officials say they are continuing to monitor ridership and travel patterns to make more adjustments as needed. In other news, when a Tesla burned in East Marion after a head-on crash on the North Fork last month, gray smoke billowed into the night and flames rose 15 to 20 feet. Two occupants remained trapped inside as volunteer firefighters Blasted water onto the crash. Lorena Mongelli reports on Newsday.com that it took three fire tankers, two pumpers, and two hours to get it under control. Quote, the flames were a lot more intense and the heat given off a lot more intense. That's uh, South Hold Police Chief Martin Flatley, who said that about the Tesla. The people inside the Tesla died, as did two people inside the Ford Explorer involved in the collision. Tesla Blaze laid bare a unique set of challenges faced by first responders battling lithium-ion battery car fires, which burn hotter, emit more smoke, and require more water to extinguish, local and state fire experts said. Quote, uh, lithium-ion batteries burn differently than anything else that we've dealt with in the past, such as your standard combustibles in a home or your standard car fire. That's Michael Utero, Nassau County Chief Fire Marshal. Though electric fire uh, vehicle fires remain rare, according to experts, first responders are undergoing 
training and seeking new tools as the car's popularity has exploded. New York State has 136,587 electric cars, more than three times as many as in 2019, according to Atlas Public Policy, an EV research firm. Last year, electric vehicle sales grew 65 percent nationwide compared to 2021, according to Cox Automotive, a research and consulting firm. In business news, Signature Bank, with offices on Long Island, has failed and been taken over by regulators. State officials announced yesterday the Manhattan-based lender had assets of $110.36 billion and deposits of $88.59 billion as of December 31st, according to the New York State Department of Financial Services, which regulates banks. James T. Medora reporting on Newsday.com that Signature's failure is the third largest in U.S. history and follows Friday's failure of Silicon Valley Bank in California. Signature has offices throughout the metropolitan area, including Hopog and Melville here in Suffolk County. Signature focuses on lending to small businesses and commercial real estate companies. Adrian A. Harris, the state of New York's financial services superintendent, said Sunday that the state took possession of Signature, quote, in order to protect depositors. She also said the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp., which insures bank accounts up to $250,000, has been appointed receiver of the bank. The Financial Services Department, quote, is in close contact with all regulated entities in light of market events, monitoring market trends, and collaborating closely with other state and federal regulators to protect consumers, ensure the health of entities that we regulate and preserve the stability of the global financial system, Harris said in a statement. Signature was founded in 2001 as a New York State chartered lender. It also is a public company with shares traded on the NASDAQ. Besides the metro area, it has offices in California, Nevada, and North Carolina. And finally, the Southampton High School varsity basketball team will be traveling upstate this upcoming weekend to compete in the New York State PHSAA Final Four. The Mariners of Southampton defeated Valhalla of Westchester 64-55 on Friday night to win the Class B Regional Final and advance to the New York State Final Four, in which they, it will play next Saturday, March 18, at Cool Ensuring Arena in Glens Falls. The Mariners will play the first semifinal game of the day with a 9 a.m. tip-off, and should they win that game, Southampton High School will be playing in the Class B state championship game the following day at 1 p.m. The Mariners have scored 21 wins and five losses thus far this season. Let's go Mariners. Reading the weather in the city in honor of the inaugural Larson Lecture by Kulapat Yantrasast on Wednesday evening at Christie's New York City. Looking like rain today, high near 46 degrees. East wind 8 to 10 miles per hour with Gusts as high as 20 miles per hour tonight. Rain continuing low of 39 or around there. East wind 11 to 15 miles per hour becoming north after midnight. Right now it's 39 degrees. Um, I've got a far away edition for you here on The Heart, the weekday morning and midnight show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life. 
Bell Chen, Aerosmith, Kings of Leon, and the chairman of the board. But first, Jonathan Ogden on WLIWFM.
You're listening to WLIWFM, NPR Radio.
Aerosmith leading us to the bottom of the nine o'clock hour, a little after midnight. If you're listening to the replay, and it is time for a very special Monday meditation underwritten by Jennifer Benton, honored to have on the line with us architect and designer uh, Kulapat Yantrasat, who uh, founded Y in 2004, combining his experience in architecture and the art world with a deep commitment to cultural inclusivity and human flourishing, a trustee of the Noguchi Museum in New York City and the Pulitzer Arts Foundation, uh, leading the inaugural Larson Lecture tonight at Christie's New York City. Good morning, Kulapat. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good morning. It's an honor to have you on with us. I'm actually on the WISE website right now. Um, Form follows function. Form follows flourishing. Good design allows people and nature to thrive. Your designs are beautiful in addition to being inclusive and uh, collaborative in a way. I'd love to hear more about where it all began for you. Uh, I I wonder if perhaps the roots go all the way back to uh, Bangkok, where you were born. Absolutely. Absolutely. As as you mentioned, I was born in, in Bangkok, Thailand, and spent around 15 years for my education and training in Japan, in Tokyo and Osaka, and then have moved on to the America in 2004. So I'm really... Uh, you know, kind of a, a recipient of all the cultural contributions that happen, you know, from the maximal inclusive energy of Bangkok markets and cultures to the exclusive exclusive culture uh, that we've seen in Japan, of course, craft and art, and of course to the world of America, where everything is about inclusive and about um, be able to collaborate together. So all of that, I felt that I was placed in all these locations, absorb and learn and listen and be able to bring in something that can bring harmony and unity to all of the differences uh, in, that we see in all the richness of culture today. Can you talk a little bit about uh, becoming an architect, uh, looking at the world before uh, you even went into uh, your work? Uh, what was it that you saw that you sought to improve? Well, funny as it is, you know, it happened in one uh, year, in when I was seven years old. You know, I think uh, my parents, you know, being in the classes they were, you know, were, you know, school teacher and engineer trying to educate their children. Uh, there was my first trip to Europe when I was seven, you know, so I was blown away, not really by the architecture of Paris per se, but by really by the urban design and the city. And I, I remember uh, thinking to myself at that time that, well, if human can make something this cohesive and this beautiful, you know, we have a great uh, future, we have a great vision ahead of us. The idea that all the places combine, not only, again, the architecture, but the river, the urban spaces, the plaza, the gardens, the parks, all of these really struck me. And that very same year, uh, we had a big renovation at my house uh, where we expand the house and change the gardens and plants the trees. And uh, again, my parents, being you know, one of their children to be involved in the process, uh, recruited me from my summer camp to really be uh, be uh, an active participant in that project. They asked me questions, 
about how I want my rooms or the garden to be. So it, it kind of allowed me to think that, you know, even from a young age, that we are empowered to shape and influence our own environments and vice versa. You know, that's the second time I've heard a story like that. A local wealth uh, management professional, Rocco Carrero, said the same thing to me, that uh, being included in, I think it was a home renovation project being uh, brought to the table and asked uh, his thoughts was really uh, such a root memory. I, I hope that it, it, it you know inspires some parents out there um, to include their kids in decisions uh, uh, happening around them, especially at home. Uh, I do hope that inspires folks. I- I'm curious. I wanted to talk a little bit more about sustainability. It's a word we hear a lot, but uh, it's not so much a buzzword as it is absolutely critical uh, to be to include in in just about everything we think about. Can you talk about uh, your design uh, from through or through that lens, please? Thank you. I think you, you know sustainability gained uh, traction uh, in America. To be honest, rather later than other places like Europe or Asia. But it cut up so fast. And now America has become one of the leading uh, vision and practitioners of, of that uh, aspect. And for me, it's um, difficult to separate that from, uh, from life, mm-hmm. right? Because I, in a way, maybe because we so focus on progress that sometimes we look back and we said, oh, we forgot to really live sustainably. We forgot about the environment. We, we forgot about our own, own health. We forgot about linking cultural and social sustainability to our progress and our innovation. So I think that the time has come. So in my way of looking, it's all the same holistically. Right. And again, uh, being from Asia, especially from Thailand, food is a big part of what I think about life. And food is not just about nutrition about culture, it's about social, it's about many other connections we make uh, through our lives. And in that regard, you know, you know, food can be an innovative art form, but it is also nurturing, it is also sustainable in the sense that we think about where our ingredients come from, we think about the energy, uh, the time we use in preparing it, and how the ecological and environmental aspect of the culture of food or architecture relate directly to progress and the aesthetic decisions that you make in making that work come through. You know, I did see uh, something in, in, in a bio of yours somewhere, if not on the, the Longhouse website, um, that you look through the lens of cuisine when it comes to your designs. What exactly does that mean? How do, how do uh, cuisine and, and architecture intersect for you? Thank you. Yeah, I think, well, it, because again, I think uh, the, the fundamental uh, kind of uh, uh, connection is that both, uh, you know, I think I would also include our costume, which, you know, of course, Jack Larson, being a textile designer, is involved. So all of these are, you know, shall we say, uh, art forms that derive most effect through the use through of people. You know, food, no matter how beautiful it is, if people don't eat it, uh, the delight and the effect it can have on people's lives is limited. Architecture is the same. If we only look at architecture through pictures and do not dwell deeply into it, do not really 
seek shelter and and and, and seek ple- pleasure out of architecture and urban design will not have that potentials and and closing as well. So because of that, I'm looking to food as an inspiration to how the art form you know you can be as avant-garde as as progressive in your agenda for aesthetic for cultural innovation. But the other part of that is how do you connect and inspire and nurture people whose lives you are, you know, entertaining or you're engaging in that level, the same with food. So in that sense, for me, architecture does not, does not stand alone. The architectural innovation do not exist with people's inspiration and, and enjoyment. So, so I look, look to that to see how shells and even traditional uh, cuisine or, or tradition really relate that work to the people and allow people to really be nurtured deeply, physically, and then spiritually through the work that you do. I love uh, what I'm he- I'm hearing uh, that you are likely inspired by nature, nature and the natural world when it comes to creating design. Uh, when it comes to cuisine, one of my favorite things is something a dish that is as beautiful as it is delicious, and that certainly does fit uh, with your designs when I look at them. Uh, Kulapat, just one more question since we're mentioning Longhouse. Can you describe uh, how the relationship uh, began between the yourself and the Legacy Garden and how uh, tonight's lecture came to be? Well, thank you so much. Oh, by the way, the lecture is actually on March 15th. Oh, it's, I'm uh, sorry, it's is, on Wednesday. Uh, yes. Yes, on, 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 on Wednesday. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you can find information on the website uh, of the Longhouse. Yes. Thank you again for your question. I think it is so. For me, I, of course, kept putting myself in the line of history of artists and creative people who live on Earth. Right? These, of course, include Jack Larson, including Bucky Fuller, including Yoko Ono, um, who I have collaborated with before, and see how, as a creative person, you know, with our limited time on Earth, how do we work and live? And I think that's the part that's very interesting for me for the Longhouse, because uh, Jack Larson obviously uh, was a successful creative designer and artist, but he then decided to share his uh, the, the abode or his house and his environment with the world as a way of talking about what the vision of art, creativity, and nature can be together. And I think that was such an inspiring point of departure for me, especially, you know, again, growing up in, in Thailand and in Japan, where nature and culture are never divided. It's one and the same thing. You know, going back to food, right? I think we yes. cannot food without really being harmony with nature, all right. the ingredients, all the process, all the delight, all the emotions, and all the creatives come with nature and live with nature. So I think on that note, uh, the Longhouse is really a great testimony to how we can really move into the future, but also understanding the roots of nature and how to live with it, you know, not only peacefully, but creatively and, and in innovatively. Beautifully said. Kulapat Yantrasast will be at Christie's New York City on Wednesday night. You can find out more information and Find tickets at longhouse.org. I'm Gianna Volpe. Let's see what's coming up on the playlist. These are Kings of Leon, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you just heard a very special Monday meditation underwritten by Jennifer Benton 
right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
You're listening to WLIWFM. Gentlemen of the Armed Forces, this is the Hoodlum from Hoboken. NPR Radio. I'd like to sing a tune for you. My name's Sinatra, and I hope you like it, hey. Frank Sinatra to James Taylor, Flock of Seagulls and the Stones on Deck. You're listening to The Heart, the weekday morning and midnight show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you. Listener supporter of WLIWFM. Stand the gold, and in the 
between what might have been and what has come to pass. A misbegotten guess, alas, and bits of broken glass. Where do your golden rainbows end? Why is the song I sing so sad? Dreaming the dreams I've dreamed, my friend. Loving the love I love to love, to love, to love. Oh, no, 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 no.
Yola's faraway look leading you into the NPR news break. But first, faraway eyes, the Rolling Stones on WLIWFM. Girl 